0: Alterior. So uh Smosh back. I don't know how many of you guys are super familiar with Smosh or understand the concept and what they meant to uh, quote unquote my generation. I don't mean to age myself. But Smosh uh, was made up of Anthony Padilla and Ian Hecox. And they were part of the initial rise in YouTube. Like back when the site first started around oh six, oh seven, whatever it exactly was. And they were kind of the first like online content creators that I was able to gravitate towards. And sure, their content was very like, you know childlike humor i guess like all of the, like the the lip syncing stuff and the, um, the food battles like it was all very admittedly cheesy and sometimes cringe but i fucked with it heavily and then the scene tie-in for this stuff would be the collaborations they did with i set my friends on fire and they had uh sex ed rocks and then another song the name of it's escaping me right now um It wasn't nearly as successful as Sex Ed Rocks. I feel like Sex Ed Rocks is one of those tracks where everybody who was around the scene back then remembers it, and then every once in a while, the clip or or some clip of the song will surface on Twitter, and that is how new people come across it, and they're like, what the fuck is this? And usually, it's probably what the fuck is this with like a negative undertone. I adore that song. Yeah, it's kind of shitty and stupid, but fuck it, man. I love it. And then just to make a really long story short, some stuff happened thereafter. Uh, Anthony just posted a very long and detailed interview with Ian. So if you guys are curious, go check it out because that kind of covers the uh, the finer details in terms of what went wrong and what happened to Smosh and the selling of it and all that sort of shit. The point of all this is that this week they bought Smosh back and Anthony and Ian will be making content again and... There is just something within that, like, adolescent nostalgia within me that is just fucking over the moon about this. Like, I don't know what the content is going to be. We'll have to wait and see what that entails. But as far as, like, the actual, um, the revival of Smosh goes in its original format with the original creators and owners, that's fucking sick. So to commemorate all this alongside this long ass intro i just did for them uh the intro and outro song for this episode will be sex ed rocks so uh yeah that's my own personal little nod to smosh through ulterior so yeah what is on this episode then since i was gone last week this will be a cumulative episode that looks at the last two weeks of releases in the scene. So, brand new singles by the likes of Knocked Loose, Calling All Captains, Eminence, Paleface, and a couple of others I want to get through, and then brand new records by Origami Angel, Fox Lake, Abyss Above, Watch Me Rise, Lado, and Alt. Thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. God. There's a reason why I just went on for like three minutes about Smosh coming back and not the Zoe 101 movie reboot thing, whatever it is. Uh, I saw the trailer, kind of looks like Cheeks, but you know, if you're into it, you're into it. Zoe 101 was kind of cool back then. Um, personally, I was like way more into Ned's Classified, but you know, do each their own. It is what it is. I'm going to stop going on tangents about TV shows and uh, online content because... There is way too much material on this episode for me to go through for me to waste any more time, so let's go ahead and get right the fuck into it. Two brand new singles out right now by Knocked Loose, Deep in the Willow and Everything is Quiet Now. If I may, for a second. Knocked Loose, Motherfucker. I really, really just had to get that out there. Um, so, Knocked Loose is one of my favorite bands to listen to, talk about, and just consume in every facet available within the medium. I feel like even if you, yourself, don't listen to them, as long as you exist in this scene space you are aware of their impact and how crucial they are to the progression of modern metalcore, hardcore, and just overall, the scene itself. Like, even if your knowledge of Knocked Loose is minimized to the uh, arf arf memes from Counting Worms or them playing Coachella recently, you still have a grasp of what Knocked Loose means to all of us. So of these two new singles, Deep in the Willow was the number one ranked scenic overlook song this week, And it's not even just because of the breakdown call that everybody has already tweeted about in some capacity. I think Deep in the Willow is cumulative of everything that makes up Knock Loose's identity. It is heavy and unapologetic and fast-paced, and it really does create this atmosphere that is going to translate perfectly to a live setting. It is a fucking heater of a song, and I've not been able to get enough of it all week so far. And then everything is quiet now is captivating for the same reasons as Deep in the Willow. And then mix in some of the finer instrumentation details like the blast beat or the guitar melody that creeps its way into the song towards the end of the track. Knocked Loose delivered in a manner last week that is exemplary of the fucking powerhouse band that they are. And they really do have, like, this stranglehold on the scene in so many ways right now. And it's well-deserved, because I truly believe I can count on one hand right now the amount of bands that are presenting themselves better than Knocked Loose. To make sure that I am covering in detail last week's number one Ranked scenic Lux song, Calling On Captain's brand new single, Unlike Me, The last time that I checked in on Calling on Captains was on their 2021 album, Slowly Getting Better, which I did enjoy, although I would be lying if I said that I have revisited a ton in the past almost two years since reviewing it, but with Unlike Me, there is this sense of enthrallment per se between myself and the single that was established literally just a few seconds into hearing it and getting hit by that wave of emotion that the song commands just from its instrumentation alone and then throw in Luke's cadence on vocals that is almost raspy while still being so powerful. It it all works together so well to elevate Unlike Me to the point where I believe that this might be the best that calling on captains have ever sounded, and for this to be like a glimpse into what they're going to be doing from here on out, I am pumped as all fucking hell for calling on captains. So, Mothica is back, and she has a brand new single out called Glow in the Dark. When I turn off the lights, I face my fears, look at how I survive my silver tears, come out at I don't need the stars, I go in the dark. Admittedly, the details pertaining to the rollout for this song are still kind of lost on me in some way. Because I think it was premiered through the video game Rocksmith and then became a single available for streaming thereafter. Um not entirely certain about all that. But what I am certain about is how much I fuck with Glow in the Dark. We're almost at the point of one year now since Mothica's album Nocturnal, which did truthfully not meet all of my expectations, but a single like Glow in the Dark, it does. And, and it reassures me of the capabilities within mothica and how she can take something of hers into a dark pop direction of sorts and give it so much fucking life and light while making it undeniably catchy the way that glow in the dark is like, to me, it's impossible to hear this song and not in some way, even just for a few seconds, feel like singing along, or nodding your head, or tapping your foot, or whatever you do to get off that rhythmic sensibility that you are being exposed to, that is going to be brought out of you in a big way by Glow in the Dark, and I am really happy to be able to say this about Mothica because I think she is a superstar. The final single that I'm going to go into detail on, at least positively, um, it's by Not A Toy, and it's called Say So. Tell your friends to take the night off, cause I got you. Tell me what you really wanna know. You know that I love to see you crawl. How we wind up in this position. You break all my rules, show me how you can move. Let's see how this concludes. Fucking straight up for real for real guys, every chance that I get to talk to you about not a toy is a privilege. Because I don't believe that At least currently in the scene, there is any other band or act that is delivering R&B-inspired sounds with the same level of effectiveness as Not A Toy. They did it about a month ago with the song Nervous, which I was so amped on. And that song had this like heightened summer party-type energy going for it. Whereas Say So, it, it really scales things back and allows the slower side of Not A Toy to shine. I think it is super chilling and relaxing and just overall laid back. Um, the acoustic guitar throughout the song adds so much flavor to the voice of Branson. And it's just one of those tracks where it can be like, at least for myself, a palate cleanser of sorts. So like, you know, coming off of heavier stuff earlier on, like Knocked Loose, Eminence, Pale Phase, and being able to kind of immerse myself into something that is dramatically different from those bands through Say So, it was a, a really... Like, mind soothing experience. And I feel that way every time toy drops something. Um, this probably doesn't need to be covered this week because it, it is like technically something I could mention next week, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. Uh, toy confirmed their new album or, or rather their debut album. It's called Problems. It releases July 28th and I could not be any more excited to get to listen to it, review it and rave about it the way that I know I'm going to. So those are all of the singles that I chose to spotlight on this episode. And there were plenty of others I reviewed over the last two weeks. But for the sake of time restraints, I would ask that all of you go check out my Twitter and Instagram. It is at Ulterior on both to check out the rest of the singles. Because, again, I don't really have the time to do so right now. But they were definitely worth everybody's um, attention. But in that same breath, I will add this piece very quickly. Now, there were two songs from this past week that I wasn't super keen on, and they both happened to come from the same band, Asking Alexandria, and I know it sounds like I bully them whenever I get on this microphone, but just uh, hear me out, potentially. Um, I said when I was talking about their prior single, Dark Void, that the band's sound right now, it, it sounds to me devoid of any real emotion or attachment that the members might have had to heavier music, and I feel the same about one of the songs here called Bad Blood. Like, I I guess at its core, it isn't a bad song per se, but the impression I get from it is that it ramps up the heaviness at times just for the sake of it. Like, it does come across as a lesser version of what the band was doing on self-titled, at least to me. And then Psycho has a bit of a pop flair infused into it with some... Electronic inspired verses, and then a chorus that does have its catchy moments, but ultimately it's not what I turned to asking Alexandria to hear, or at least not what I would turn to in a previous time where I felt like the band had something to say. They do have a new album out soon. It's going to be called Where Do We Go From Here? I don't believe there's a release date yet or even a track list in full, but whenever the album is available to all of us, I will be hearing it and I will be reviewing it. And just off of the singles rollout so far, I'm not really expecting for my demeanor towards asking Alexandria to change in the band's current incarnation. So yeah that was everything about the singles and now there are half a dozen records for me to get through and I want to do this as quickly and efficiently as I possibly can. So first up is the brand new album out right now by Origami Angel, it is called The Brightest Days. So to be fully transparent, I do not have the, like, greatest extensive knowledge about Origami Angel coming into this review. Um, I did hear their two prior albums, Gami Gang and Summer City, as well as two EPs, uh, called Return and Depart. Uh, Depart, I, I really do prefer because of its heaviness and how, like, distant it was from the other Origami Angel material. And I don't say that disparagingly, because I do like Origami Angels, pop punk, and indie-driven endeavors, but hearing something that was a lot grimier just appealed to me in a weird way. But yeah, at large, I've never really considered myself to be an Origami Angel merchant, and I don't fully expect The Brightest Days to change that necessarily, but what the album has done is given me the chance to come onto the show and tell all of y'all That Origami Angel can absolutely be your shit if you give them a chance. I think the ukulele intro in the title track gives the album this sense of, like, joy and, in a weird way, maybe innocence that gets redacted shortly thereafter because of how explosive it becomes while still maintaining the identity of Origami Angel. Like, it's just a lot of fun to get through, and if this makes any sense... The vibrancy of these tracks, it sounds like what the artwork looks like. It's bright and beach-inspired in some ways. Um, the pacing is kept enthralling throughout Thank You, New Jersey and Picture Frame, which are just as catchy and daydreamy as the opening song. The fourth track, Kobayashi Maru My Very Own, created this point in the record where it felt to me like everything in Origami Angel's arsenal was coming together to complete fruition and... Uh, I am of the belief that that made for one of the best songs on the album, especially at the start of the second verse where there's this little switch up that simplifies the pacing a bit, but it adds this extra layer of infectiousness. One thing that I can say as some bit of a gripe is, well also not really because I do still enjoy this record, but my point is that at around the halfway mark of The Brightest Days, it felt like maybe I had heard everything that there is that Origami Angel had to offer. Um, I don't think some of the songs necessarily did much to stand out in unique ways. And they each just kind of take what the band had already established themselves as being good at and builds off of that. And that's all fine and, and well, but it's just not... um I would have liked for more chances to be taken as opposed to like a pretty safe play of a stretch of songs, if that makes any sense. I also think that the song Looking Out, which sounds like an extended version of the ukulele intro I mentioned earlier, it just kind of disrupts the flow a bit and it doesn't really do much to enhance listening experience. It doesn't diminish it either, but it's not something where I hear it and I'm like, okay, this was absolutely necessary to this album's flow. But in the midst of all this, I do still believe that the album closed on its brightest note in Few and Far Between, because that just stood out to me as Origami Angel at their highest point, and all of the positive elements to The Brightest Days came together for one last cumulative send-off, and it was a great way to end the album. So all in all, I, as of right now, do not really know the staying power that The Brightest Days will have with me, but... Like I said earlier, what this album did more than anything else was just give me the chance to finally talk about Origami Angel, because it just felt like the stars per se were never really aligning for me to do that. But now I have the chance, and I'm telling you guys that if what I've mentioned about like pop punk and indie rock, if that's like any of your shit, Origami Angel and The Brightest Days 100% will also be your shit. Fear and Loathing is the name of the brand new EP out right now by Fox Lake. When I looked back on the discography for Fox Lake that I had saved to Spotify, I was actually surprised by how long I've been into this band and how long they've actually been going. So the first single that I have saved by them on my Spotify uh, was Chosen Blood, which dropped back in 2017. So this is, at the very least, a six-year outing for the band, and it feels like there is still this sense of underground to their identity and it's a part of their identity that makes sense given the style of like metalcore and hardcore new metalcore whatever you want to call it that they're doing but it doesn't really make sense because i feel like this band is in a lot of ways heads and shoulders above a lot of their contemporaries in those scenes Like, their record from 2020, Silence and Violence, that was one of my favorite releases that year, and it's one of those uh, records where, like, you put it on and it's just going to stick with you because of how hard it hits, how fucking ferocious it is, and I think that translates very well into what Fear and Loathing is doing and just how much this record is going to stick with you if this is the kind of endeavor that you're looking for out of, again, metalcore, hardcore, new metalcore, any of those terms. Off the rip, I want to say that there are two feature spots on this EP that, in some ways steal the show in unison with Foxtick of course, but um the two songs are Gaslight featuring Mark Zelly from Paleface and Hammer and Nail featuring Chris Roder from like Most of Flames. I think the addition of these two guests here really helped um like fine-tune some of the uh the heavier elements of fox lake because while they are heavy all the way through some of the new metalcore tones that i keep mentioning they enable fox lake to be in the like catchier bracket of the genre but having chris and mark come in it really does to me at least help accentuate the heaviness of the ep if that makes any sense Like on Mark's feature for Gaslight, he comes in and just immediately takes control of the song, and his insanely unique and special voice, that is what kind of helps drive the second half of that song moving forward. I think there's a lot of bounce and vibrancy to the EP here, like on the opening song Higher. I just can't help but, you know, like want to shrug my shoulders along to the rhythm. Like it's that kind of a rhythmic and catchy sensibility that I think is a part of the identity of Fox League that helps make them one of the standout bands of their subset in the scene. I think one of my favorite tracks on here, it's actually an instrumental interlude, um... The name of it is a set of coordinates, and when I put the coordinates into Google, it showed up with a, a Zappos location in Las Vegas. So, um, there's probably a deeper meaning to it that I'm not really looking into, but regardless, the way that this song kind of um, manages to be Fox Lake without sounding anything like Fox Lake, in my opinion. It is one of the coolest interlude-type tracks I've heard in a minute, and it didn't really do much to kind of disrupt the flow, the way I just mentioned about uh, a song off of the Origami Angel record. I think with this particular song here, On Fear and Loathing, it's the kind of halfway breakpoint that just lets you kind of intake what you had been hearing while also at least for myself, being completely mesmerized and captivated by what this interlude was providing with me. I think the closing song, Blood of the Machine, is a great way to kind of bring all the ideas of Fear and Loathing full circle and just give the listener something that is really not like super heavy or aggressive, but just like dirty enough within the new Metacore boundaries to satisfy their urges per se. And I think coming out of this EP, the thing that's like reassured to me by what I heard on Fear Loathing is that Fox Lake is a very solid and just well-rounded, still underrated band that really does need more of a platform. Like, There really do need to be more eyes and ears on Fox Lake, and I would just hope that whenever that does happen, because I feel confident in saying that it will happen, the masses will be there to support them and help drive this kind of material into the stratosphere. Because Fox Lake have not missed; they don't have any sort of faults that would prevent them from being able to succeed the way that I know that they can. Fox Lake, they really do deserve every good fortune that can possibly come their way in the future. Let's talk about a new band that I was exposed to this past week, and that is Abyss Above, who dropped an EP called "Embrace the Abyss." So I didn't really know what to expect going into Abyss Above because I didn't know about the band before reviewing the CP. So there was no build up within the singles rollout for me to like have the um, the preconceived notion and knowledge of what the band sounded like. I just knew that they were Deathcore, and that was an easy selling point for myself because I do believe that Deathcore is one of the genres right now where it is so hard for me at least to find anything subpar. Like every band that I review on here within the Deathcore boundaries, they are able to deliver on every front. And I don't think Abyss Above is any different in that sense. I think the initial buildup in the opening song, Vane is the perfect way to kind of ease a listener into Abyss Above and their cadence. Because it's like kind of slowly based, but the aggression within it is ramped up as high as it possibly can be. And I think that kind of eerie build, it, it just really helps um, elevate the ideas within Vane and then at large the EP altogether. And then from there, the song just kind of becomes more and more chaotic. And then when you get to the closing stretch of it, it is something that was able to sick with me for a while because it it felt that impactful and it sounded that impactful. And as I'm saying all this, I'm remembering now by looking at Spotify that I actually did review Vane as a single back in March, so almost everything that I've said in this intro is inconsequential, but the thing that is not inconsequential is how much I fucking adore what Vane did and what Abyss Above is doing all throughout the rest of Embrace the Abyss. I think Tenebrae is able to take everything that I just said about Vane and kind of extend all of the concepts and there's a section in the middle of tenebrae that i don't really want to call it a chorus because i don't feel like that's what it is but it has this um this giant sound to it it's like as if like say there are dark clouds over you and the dark clouds represent this EP and they suddenly open and the sky is visible, but it's all like red the way that the EP artwork is. That is the kind of scenery that the course of Tenebrae, uh, makes me visualize and it strikes me as being like it is still so chaotic and aggressive while being able to give Abyss above this larger than life persona. Did I ever mention the Persona 3 remake on this show? Holy fuck, I'm just now thinking about that. That was my cat, Levi. I, he's trying to tell me something. Levi, did I ever mention Persona 3? Remake. Reload. Whatever it's called. He can't give me an answer, but I'll come back to Persona later on. Not right now, because right now it's about a bit above. The Tower track for the EP features Dan Tucker from Crowd Magnetar, and I really do enjoy this pairing, and I think it made for one of the coolest experiences on this EP, because I think Dan is one of the best uh, vocalists right now in Deathcore, and Crowd Magnetar is another act where if they just kind of get, like, that elevation and that push, they can really do a lot of wonders from Deathcore. And I feel the same way about Abyss Above, because, uh, again, like, there's really nothing about the EP that I couldn't immerse myself in. I was thoroughly impressed with how everything sounded. Like, it's so fluid, and the production is insanely fucking crisp. And I think the two songs thereafter, Absolute and Nexus, really do help drive that home. Nexus, in particular, has this sort of apoplectic feel to its delivery and I thought that was a great way to close the EP and just a great way to kind of establish Abyss above to anybody who might be hearing him for the first time as a real gem within Deathcore that more people should be hearing. And I kept saying this about Origami Angel and Fox Lake, but I do really believe that one of the constant themes throughout the records I'm talking about today is that not enough people have exposure yet to these acts. And Abyss Above is a band where if you're into this style of deathcore, just fucking take this EP, ramp it all the way up, and you're going to have a fucking blast of a time, the same way that I did. To make sure that I'm getting through the two releases from the prior week that I missed out on, Uh, Watch Me Rise, have an EP out now called Bedtime Stories. So... The week prior, I kind of was really struggling to find records to talk about, and not really because there wasn't anything out there, but there wasn't, okay, at least in front of me, there wasn't anything that I felt I could provide any insight on or maybe expose an artist to somebody. But something that I kind of had to remind myself is why I even do this fucking podcast in the first place. And it's to help get bands out there, whether they be big or small bands. Like, I try to use my voice. Ideally, I would like to use my voice to help however many bands I can, if that's a thing that I'm able to have the honor and privilege of one day being able to actually do on a grand scale. And if I'm not actively searching for those bands, I'm not doing my fucking job. So I got off my ass, went online, and found Watch Me Rise. And I'm fucking happy that I did. Like, to me, this is pulse hardcore and emo incarnated. Like, this is what these two genres were meant to sound like. Just off of the opening song, Halo, it felt like I had been introduced to every element within Watch Me Rise that I needed to have an understanding of to be able to navigate bedtime stories. It has that rough-around-the-edges production that I would expect out of a, a DIY type of project, And he's kind of given the canvas of Halo to really let that be fleshed out in his voice because instrumentation for most of the song, like 90% of it is very simplistic and it just kind of gives him that platform. And then towards the end of the track is when the rest of the band really comes in and the song blossoms in this very explosive but still emotional manner. It was a crazy fucking way to open the EP, but also an insanely effective way. The three songs I follow, A Place You Belong, Silence, and All My Friends Are Sad, they really do embody that post-hardcore spirit that some of you guys might be familiar with through bands like uh Duché Amore or La Dispute. And I guess I just mean by that, like the way that these songs manage to be catchy while also very gutting in a lot of ways from the way that it sounds on vocals by Josh and then also just the... The range of emotion that's within the instrumentation, and I know that for some people who might not be really, like really tapped in for post-hardcore and emo, the idea of instrumentation being able to evoke emotion might sound kind of strange, but that is one of the foundations of the genre, and I think Watch Me Rise do an excellent job at crafting their sound within those expectations. Like, I couldn't really show this record a lot of love in Scenic Overlook because most of these tracks here were not new, so they're disqualified from the format of Scenic Overlook, at least for that week. But had this EP been, like, you know, all brand new material at once, this would have dominated that week. Like, I really do think this is one of my favorite EPs of the year so far. And then it all finishes off in a very grand way with the title track as a closer. And I think that song... It might have, at least for the first listen through of Bedtime Stories for Myself, been the most emotional journey that the EP took me on, and I just I couldn't get enough of it. Like I think the EP is so easy to get through, but in the sense that like you can just put it on and in one sitting get through it in a couple minutes. It's not easy in the sense that it's actually very heavy emotionally, lyrically, the subject matter of this EP. But if you can make your way through it, and if you have that ear for post-hardcore and emo, I think this can be one of your favorite releases of the year so far, in terms of EPs. There is a brand new album out right now by Leto. It is Alternative Psycho. For actually the majority of the lifespan of this podcast, Leto has been an artist who I will somewhat go out of my way to listen to and talk about on here whenever I get that chance because I think Leto is one of the stars of the more hip hop driven side of the scene. And There's just something to his delivery that has always managed to, at least in my eyes and ears, be incredibly catchy and also just very moving in some ways. I remember the first thing I ever heard by him, Hate Me, back in May of 2021. Just a great way to introduce me to this guy because I think he has this incredible ability within hip hop to make something that is in alignment with that genre, but then also with our scene at the same exact time. So going into this album, there were four singles that I did mention as part of the uh, miscellaneous single segments of those given weeks. Uh, Freak Out, Save Yourself Runaway, In Bed With A Psycho, and End Of The Road. And I think each of those four singles did a great job at kind of showing off different layers to what Leto is doing on here. Like, I think Freak Out was mainly built on rock elements in a way. Save Yourself Runaway has more... Um, like electronic experimentation. In Bed with a Psycho is more with hip hop for Leto, and then End of the Road kind of combines most of those elements into this one track. The three remaining songs in the album were 54321, Ugly Truth, and Someone I'm Not. Ugly Truth was the one that kind of stood out to me in some ways, and this is a very specific comparison, so I'm not really sure how many people will be able to pick up on it, but, um, There is an Alice in Wonderland song called Peace, it came out four years ago, and the way that Ugly Truth goes about its electronic tones, it kind of makes me think of like a slightly heavier version of Peace, and I guess for that reason, I was able to establish this connection to Ugly Truth that was like instantaneous, like every element of it immediately made sense to me. Like, it's almost ballad-like in its verses, and then that chorus with the electronic drop. It really does help accentuate what it is about Leto and this album that I think helps make everything he does and touches work. I think 54321 is a very catchy way to open the album, and someone I'm not, it has like almost a, like a theatrical feel, like a very dramatic delivery. And I really thought that was able to help make that song stand out from everything else around it. So when thinking about Alternative Psycho and everything that the album encompasses, it's not groundbreaking, genre-shattering. Like, this album is not going to make Leto a household name, per se, in the scene. But what it's going to do is provide a very relaxing and just overall fun trip for anybody who comes across it and i think that is good enough to help leto be embedded into the brains of anybody who gets the chance to hear alternative psycho and for the final record of the episode we have abeyance which is a debut album by alt The first thing that I want to say to start this review of abeyance, and even Alt altogether, is that I think this is one of the biggest surprises of the year so far, and I say that with respect to all of the singles, because I thoroughly enjoyed getting to hear every new one from the record, and experience something that I didn't believe I could get from any other band. The sound present here for Alt is super unique while still being able to pay homage to the bands and artists that influenced them. And what I mean by that is that if you look at their Spotify bio, the band specifically lists Bring Me the Horizon, Hands Like Houses, The Plot in You, and Billie Eilish's influences in their writing. And I would also throw in from my own judgment after hearing this album, bands like Boston Manor and Modern Era. I can hear all of them. In this album, while still being able to understand that Alt took these inspirations and mashed them into one very fucking unique sound in their own way. So even if again, I can hear bits of Bring Me and Plot and Billie Eilish in here, I don't think of this album as being ripoffs of any of them. I see it as being Alt took a certain type of sound and found a way to make it their own. And I think that is one of the biggest victory laps a band can take. To look back on the singles rollout for the album, we started with Wraith, and what I was able to kind of take from Wraith was the sense of complete, like, um, the unknown element, I guess is kind of what I'm trying to get at here, because when I was making my way through that song for the first time, I couldn't really predict where it was going to go, because like, it starts off kind of heavy and then it breaks out into a very methodically paced verse where dan's voice is kind of acting as the narration for this pulsating rhythm that i felt was kind of like daunting and chilling in some ways and then from there it goes into a chorus that is like arena ready and again dan's voice helps elevate that chorus in a really big fucking way from there, we got into the Great Depression. And I cannot say enough good things about the Great Depression. And then also, I have to be really apologetic because I didn't spotlight this song in a big way back in February when I could have. And I really, really, really should have because the Great Depression is a fucking mesmerizing-ass song. I was mentioning some bands earlier who Alt Sound reminds me of and I said like Boston Manor, Modern Error. I think for the Great Depression, I would say... And despite this band being ubiquitous right now, Bad Omens. I feel like I can hear that sort of the death of peace of mind cadence within the Great Depression. And it was an element that really did help make the Great Depression stand out so positively. I think with the next single, ADD, something that Dan does here that... I, I wouldn't say it was as prominent on The Great Depression or Wraith was kind of raise his voice in a more like modern rock tone. And I think that was a great way to go about the song and help make it stand out because dude has the fucking pipes for that shit. Like he is sensational all the way around, not just the singles up to now, but the entire record. I think Dan stands out as one of the highlights of a band that on this album showed me nothing but highlights. Apep, which features Jack from Void of Vision, I think this song without Jack would have still been successful, but his inclusion really does help make Apep this piece of the puzzle of abeyance that really did end up being vital and crucial. The final single that came out, I think it was like the week of the album's release, or so the week before, was Friend in the Dark. And I don't know how many songs I've heard this year that gave me the mindfuck of a journey the way that Friend in the Dark did. It has this very daunting nature spread throughout it for most of the song. And it's done in a way where I never once found myself wondering, like, where is this going? I was kind of just enjoying the journey for what it was, not thinking too much about the song becoming heavy or explosive at any point. But then when it finally did and the song acts as like the heavens opening up per se in that last minute, it really did take me for a loop. I was so enthralled by that motion within the song and the way that it quieted itself back down to close it. Like, Friend of the Dark might be my favorite song on the album. And I feel like it's the kind of song where if I had been, like, not sold yet throughout the other singles like Wraith or The Great Depression friend in the dark would have been the one that did me in getting into the rest of the album i feel like parasite was the best possible choice for an opener on this album because it's very like straightforwardly heavy all the way through but it's done in a way where you still get an idea of the uniqueness to the sound of Alt, even if parasite in itself is not a super unique sounding song I absolutely adore the catchiness and dance sensibility within Back to Earth. Like it just has that kind of a movement going for it in its chorus, and it did a lot to help add an extra layer to what it is about a band so that I cannot get enough of. I think the same thing can be applied to the title track of bands because it also does something similar to Back to Earth in terms of, you know, having that danceability per se to it. And then the other two songs, The Only Good Thing and Better Off Leaving. They kind of accomplish the same thing, but through different means. And when I say accomplish the same thing, I mean that these two songs pack some of the more emotional moments in the album, but they don't do it similarly. I would say that The Only Good Thing has a more um, slow approach to execution, but it is that soft nature that I think really does help these emotional elements blossom in so many ways. And then Better Off Leaving, it again, kind of accomplishes the same thing, but those soft moments that I mentioned on The Only Good Thing, they're never as scaled back on Better Off Leaving. It feels like the kind of song where I could imagine, and I'm going to throw more potential influences out there, at least ones that I can hear, Holding Absence and Caskets. I, I can get that sense within Better Off Leaving's delivery, and it truly does help make abeyance close out on the highest possible note that it could have. Has a really chaotic sounding chorus and then the piano that kind of acts as the outro to the song and the album altogether. Just really, really fucking beautiful. I love the attention to detail here on Better Off Leaving. And the attention to detail at large with Abeyance is one of the things that really does make me believe this is a standout album of the year so far. I think Alt for a debut record really outdid themselves and in a way outclassed so many bands around them who are in similar positions this year to be delivering their debut outing. Like so far in the past week, it's felt like every time I hear a band, I discover something new about it. And I don't see that changing at all in the future. I think a band is going to be an album where I have to listen to it over and over and over again to get the complete grand scope of what it really does mean to me. And I truly cannot wait to do that and get to experience this album over and over and over again because it is that addictive to me and that's it that was every album and ep and single from the last two weeks for me to go through and i do apologize for this episode taking so long to get out to you guys. But, you know, me slacking and then also having other life events occur, it really did put a dent into my productivity. But the point is that I ultimately did get the episode out. And while I cannot promise you guys that an occurrence like this where I get backed up on material doesn't happen again, I can at least give you my word that I will always find a way to get this material out to you guys because there are so many bands and songs that you all really should be listening to you and if i can get that to you guys i will thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode and as always for the love of the game let's make a scene